Matthew chapter 5. We'll talk to you about revenge this morning. Matthew chapter 5. Living free from the need for revenge. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. Stand with me. Let's read these five verses, verses 38 to 42, aloud together. Matthew 5, verse 38 to 42. Okay. <clears throat> Let's read together, starting in verse 38. Ye have heard it said, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm uh, just predicting, sorry, let me do it again. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also." And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Father, we come to an even harder lesson. Each one of these statements that your son made is harder than the previous one. So this morning, I pray that we would listen and hear and ask for your help to obey. Lord, help us to realize there's not one of us who doesn't have it in our heart to hate, to seek revenge. Lord, bitterness, there is lust, there is everything wrong in our heart, and you're trying to rip it out. And you're not going to rip it out without replacing it. And so here you are replacing a very powerful emotion with things that are more powerful and actually life-transforming, and they're only through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The person of the Lord in our heart can make the difference. We've got to invite Him in. We've got to yield to Him. We've got to obey Him. So I ask that we would want that this morning, and that you'd help me preach and teach like if you were here in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now, Jesus taught... In, in chapter 5, 6, and 7, on the superiority of the kingdom of God. And he's not talking about a kingdom that's over in Europe or down in Africa or over in the Far East. He's dealing with an invisible kingdom, a kingdom that you can't hold on to and you can't buy land with, and yet it's superior. Now, he did it. He taught the superiority of the kingdom of God by, not by throwing away the Old Testament. He didn't say... Don't mind the Old Testament and all its old laws. He actually took time to explain what they meant and how they work and how they work even today. Then he exposes the problem with personal revenge. And this is going to be a hard lesson for us, just like it was for them back then. So hold on to your hats, all right? By way of review, in, in, um, two kingdoms are at war. And if you don't believe me, you haven't tried to live for Christ yet very long and tried to live like Christ lived very long because it is hard. None of this that we're reading comes naturally. Can you nod your head? Somebody says, I can't live it. Of course you can't live it. We're called to live in a, in a, in a different way and by a different means. We live by faith, not by ability. So there are two kingdoms at war. They are the kingdoms of this world, physical, and the kingdom of God, which is spiritual. 
One of them lasts forever. Which one will last forever? The kingdom of God lasts forever. The kingdom of this world is going to pass away. Heaven and earth are going to pass away. So we live here and now in this world. We're, we're, a phys- we're in a physical world full of people, of armies and troubles. But there's another kingdom existing right alongside. Again, you don't, you don't move over here and you're living in it, and now you're living over there. There are some places in America where you, you're, the, the towns are straddling two time zones. So when, when, um, uh, when you're driving through the village, it says you've now crossed into a certain time zone. It was 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Now it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon, just 50 feet across the line. So, but that's not how the kingdom of God works. You don't just move and, 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 and over here in church, you're now in the kingdom of God, but at home, you're in the kingdom of this world. No, no, no. The kingdom of God is supposed to be everywhere. It is invisible. You were born into this world and into its kingdoms. You may be Nigerian, you may be German, you may be uh, Irish, you may be um, uh, American, but it's great to be Texan. Amen, Ryan? Amen. You were born into this world and into its kingdoms, but you must be born again to get into the kingdom of God. Jesus said, marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again, or else you cannot see the kingdom of God. So when we, when we start in this thing, we've got to learn about what Jesus is speaking about. And very simply, it's about revenge. And it is such a powerful word. An old stay saying, you still hear, it's even in the movies, revenge is a, dis, is a dish best served cold. <laughs> and it simply means to inflict pain or injury in return for an injury received. To get even with the person who wronged you. Now, I hope you know the power of revenge is extreme. If somebody walks by you, pushes you down, grabs your purse, and runs off, how do you feel? Oh, I'm going to go catch them, and I will kick them, and I will. That's, that's our natural response. Someone calls you a name, and boy, do we quickly come up with our own set of names, you know? My family and I, when we first moved here, uh, we were traveling over the old bridge that goes right next to the regional park here, and we were just getting used to it. I mean, it is, you feel like you're in a telephone booth when you go across that old bridge. And so we're driving across, and this, this car with some, try not to call them hooligans, but that's what they were. These young boys, these older boys, were in this car, and they're flying across the humpback bridge. And I'm driving along, and I see when they clip my wing mirror. I go over to the other side. I'm looking for them to stop and to say they're sorry, and they just keep right on going. And I, I'm flying back over there. I'm going to get those guys. And they took off. They were twice as fast. But revenge, we've been wronged. So many movies and novels make big money feeding on people's thirst for revenge. Why? Because we take things personally, don't we? Somebody says something, somebody takes our parking spot and it's personal. It is intense. How many have ever seen road rage or heard about it? I mean, there are people who die because somebody cut them off or was, was dangerous on the road. 
There are so many arguments and fights in homes because of a history of arguments and fights and wrongs that just keep coming up, and there is a desire for revenge. And that's why we need judges and we need courts to force wrongdoers to pay for their offenses. That's not wrong. That, we, that is what God gave us. But let me say this. Justice never fixes things that have been broken. Because people rarely repent. Because people have long memories. And they keep stuff in their heart about their hurts. And really, justice doesn't fix things that are broken because revenge is easier to keep burning in our hearts more than holiness and peace and contentment and humility. It's a whole lot easier just to stay angry. So Jesus is teaching an audience here. As a simple man, without political power, Jesus did not have political power, did he? He was not with Fenafal. He was not with Sinn Féin. He was not with the, the Christian Democrats in Germany. He had no political power. He had no courts. He had no armies. And he was speaking to a people who themselves were without political power as well. He's speaking to the common Joe. So most of the people listening to Jesus' teaching were simply common people who had never been treated equally under the law. They had no protection from abuse. So normally when a leader rises up, he says, you're not happy, are you? <laughs> That's how normal political leaders begin. You need better jobs. That's how they start. Watch, I mean, Irish politics was always fun until now. American politics is crazy. Everything is, is he's awful, she's weird. It's the end of the world if we go through this. What are they doing? Trying to stir up a, a sense of we've been hurt. Well, Jesus is not going to stir up those people to try to overthrow the Romans. He's going to speak to them about how to have victory over the desire for revenge because he's going to correct a wrong teaching about revenge. And that is that it is right to personally get even when you're hurt, when somebody takes advantage of you or when you've been abused. You see, the Pharisees and religious leaders, to stay in power, stirred up people's sense of hurt. And they, 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 they created a need for them to stand with them. And say, you need me to console you. Oh, you've been hurt. I get so tired of that. We've all been hurt. There's a time where we get the victory over the hurt, amen? And where we don't carry that hurt into every conversation and in every relationship so that nobody likes to be around us. Jesus is not going to say to a bunch of people, let's get them. No, he's going to say, let's forgive. And it will be revolutionary. They, the, the Pharisees even used scripture to prove that it was right to seek revenge for almost any hurt or wrongdoing. So the law that Jesus is referring to, look back there in verse 38. You have heard that it hath been said, and he's actually implying that it is always taught, and the Pharisees and the religious teachers were always saying, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, let's see where that came from. Let's go to Exodus chapter 21. Exodus 21, verse 22. Exodus 21, verse 22. If men strive, they get into a fight and hurt a woman with child so that her fruit, her child... Depart from her, and yet no mischief follow. 
He shall be surely punished according to the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. And if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give what? Life for life. Circle those three words. Keep going. Verse 24, eye for eye. Circle those three words. Tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. If a man smite the eye of his servant, now this servant is not a slave, it's somebody who has borrowed money, gotten into debt, and now has, has uh, placed himself under their debtor and says, I'll work off that debt. And while they're working off that debt, every day coming to the farm or wherever they're working, if that owner, that person who owns them for that period of time, smite the eye of his servant or the eye of his maid, that it perish, he loses the eye, that debtor, uh, the, the, the owner, shall let him go free for his eye's sake. And if he smite out his manservant's tooth or his maidservant's tooth, men or women, he shall let him go free for his tooth's sake. What's going on? Well, this is, this is a law that, that simply means, all right, how many of you know this guy? Somebody takes your eye out, you have the right to demand retribution, to demand justice, that that person who did it wrong, that they pay the value of the eye, which may be the debt you owe. If, if, you, if somebody were to break a foot, if somebody were to knock your tooth out, it is simply demanding equal justice for a wrongdoing. Do you notice if you, you know, um, obviously God values teeth and eyes. We'd say, well, it's just a tooth. And God says, you know, if you accident, if you got into a fight and you punch somebody, where's my picture? Uh, okay, well, let me use an illustration here. I'll show you my picture in a second. Somebody comes along and with a rock or, or a key scratches your car. Oh, my goodness. Should they be allowed to, uh, should, should, uh, to just walk away? Should you, the car owner, be able to sue them for the price of a new car? No. Eye for eye. The cost of repainting that panel or panels is all you can charge them. Does that make sense? It's equal. So the penalty should match the crime. So somebody gets into a fight and knocks a tooth out. Well, whatever it costs to either replace the tooth, put the new tooth in, put a bridge in, fix it, is all you can sue them for. Not more and not less. It's called equal justice. Does that make sense? Now, the movies make fun of that, and especially the politicians. Gandhi said this. He said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, if we were actually to enact that, everybody would be toothless and blind. <laughs> That's stupidity. God was not saying that, that we should just go around and punch everybody's eye out who punches us. Not at all. He's saying that it is right to seek justice, and the justice requires the wrongdoer to pay the value of the wrong. Here's an example. I um, uh, <clears throat> already gave you my example of somebody uh, scratching your car. Okay, I remember... Um, uh, we were in a snowstorm. I was in a, it was really snowing. I was in New Jersey and trying to get home. And there was a line of traffic and it was constantly moving about a foot and then stopping. And then moving about a foot and then stopping. And I took, I don't know, I took my mind off the road and I kept going. I bumped this car in front of me. Now, here's the problem. 
It was a very expensive car. <laughs> and I was so frustrated. It was taking me hours to get home. It normally took one hour. And I remember the guy getting out of the car. He was so mad. I mean, I just tapped the thing. It was the tiniest scratch. He sent me a bill for $600. Ugh. Well, I couldn't fight him. I mean, I don't know what it's going to cost to repair that thing. But I'm glad it wasn't 60000 Okay? An eye for an eye. So, now I should not get off scot-free either, should I? I shouldn't just be able to say, ah, you know, just let it go. No. You see, when somebody does wrong, they need to take responsibility for it. Nod your head. Amen. We've gotten into a realm where nobody takes responsibility. Nobody feels the weight of their crime or their wrongdoing anymore. You know, um, this used to be the cornerstone of all good law and justice but it's not anymore. We have the current situation in our hearts. You would not want to read all the abuses that come before the Irish courts. They would turn your stomach in horror to see judgments handed down being so pitiful and unequal to the crimes being committed. You find out somebody has stolen a car and goes for a joyride and wrecks the car. They get, after, they get a little reprimand on the wrist and they'd be told for the 37th time by the court, don't do that anymore. That happens in Ireland. Someone robs an elderly couple, traumatizes them. I believe they should go to jail. If you break into a house, I mean, look, if you've traumatized, especially an elderly couple, you, and you get a little slap on the wrist, you get, you get told you have to move away or whatever, that elderly couple may have lost 10 years of their life with you breaking into their house. You, you, have, you have done such a wrong and yet nobody really, everybody's so compassionate on the person who broke in. In Ireland, prison has become something of a last resort, and even the judges are saying this. Even persistent offenders are constantly given second, third, fourth, fifth chances. Judges are too reluctant to impose prison terms for serious offenses such as manslaughter. They won't put people in jail for murder. Assault, causing harm or serious harm, doesn't go to jail. Sexual assault, doesn't go to jail. Rape, doesn't go to jail. Aggravated robbery and burglary, doesn't go to jail, not unless it's extreme. Here's an example. A man, this is two, June 2015, Irish uh, uh, independent. A man was stabbed to death during a brawl in a bed and breakfast. During, <laughs> I mean, how do you get in a fight at a bed and breakfast? I don't know. How, do you, how long do you think that convicted killer, he was convicted, how long do you think he got put in jail? Five years. Terrence Connors, 42 years old, had originally been charged with the murder of Peter Conroy, who was 25. His plea of guilty to manslaughter and not guilty to murder was rejected by the state, and he was convicted by a jury of, of murder after one-week trial. So far, so good. But when it came time for sentencing in February of 2017, the Central Criminal Court sentenced Connors to seven years imprisonment with two suspended. I guarantee you he got out after only three years on good behavior. I'm telling you, eye for an eye is a good way to have justice. Are you listening? Not personally, but for our justice system. Do you realize that anyone who murders another person in Ireland and is convicted of that murder is sentenced to life imprisonment? Listen to the hypocrisy. Sentenced to life imprisonment 
and allowed to get out after seven years or less, depending on good behavior. Most people today feel that compassion is more important than justice. Let's see if I've got these. And that the Bible never really expresses that a wrongdoing deserves punishment. But I'd like to show you something. Go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And verse 23. <clears throat> Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. <clears throat> for the wages, what I've earned for sin is what? Wait a minute. My sin equals the punishment of? Wow. So the Bible does show that when you're guilty, wow, it's serious with God. God just doesn't say, ah, sure, don't, I will overlook that. Go to Acts chapter 25. Go back a few pages to Acts chapter 25 and verse 10. Paul is standing before his own people and before the Roman judicial system. In Acts 25 and verse 10. Of all people, Paul should have said the death penalty is wrong. Life for life doesn't really matter now. Tooth for tooth is just Old Testament. Listen to him, Acts 25 and verse 10. Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat. That was the Supreme Court of the day, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong, as thou well knowest, talking to Festus. For if I be an offender or have committed anything, watch these words, worthy of death, I refuse not to die. There are things that people do that are worthy of death because the punishment should fit the crime. But if there be none of these things whereof they accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them, so they could kill me. So I appeal unto Caesar. Go one more, Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Now that, Jesus, see, we get the idea that compassion is more important than justice. And Jesus never, ever wanted you to get that idea that we should have a ton of compassion and a little bit of justice. I'll show you this. Matthew chapter 18, Matthew 18 and verse 6, but who shall, whoso shall offend one of these little ones, what's a little one? A child. Whoso shall abuse one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. How does he feel about little children being abused? He didn't say, let's just overlook it. No. Every society, every society needs a blind and equal justice system or no one is safe. Now, I don't know if you realize on the top of a lot of courthouses all over Europe, they founded their judicial system on the Bible, and you'll almost always see a woman, not a man, for the compassion that a woman has. But she has a sword. Do you ever notice that? It's not to cut bread with. She has a balance. She says, my justice must be equal. And if you notice anything, she has a blindfold. She doesn't care whether you're black, white, American, Irish, doesn't matter who you are or what you are. If you've done wrong, you must pay. You must have that kind of a justice system or nobody is safe. So Jesus is not saying, hey, judges, 
just love one another. No, he's talking to people in our daily interactions where we take it upon ourselves to seek revenge, and he's going to fix that because Jesus makes this personal. He says, let's go back to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 39. But I say unto you, that you resist not evil. So he's not rebuking the judges or the magistrates or the courts. He's speaking to the crowd, to the people who have to put up with abuses, who have to every day be treated like dirt, who are, who are um, uh, occupied by a Roman um, uh, army and by a Roman government that despised their, their way of life. And he says, you must not resist evil against you. You must not seek revenge. You must not fight back. You must not raise up yourselves as mobs to attack those that you feel have hurt you. Then he gives some serious examples. Look at the first one he says there in verse 39. But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, punch him. No, turn to him the other also. All right. His first example is to turn the other cheek. Now, it would be incredibly, it would be an awful insult for somebody to come up to you and just whack, slap you, wouldn't it? I mean, wow, what was that for? So when somebody strikes you on the face, I know how most of us would respond. We slap right back. I mean, it's just, you're going to get it. And some people would say, well, I won't, I don't, I would never slap anyone, really. Did you know insulting words are like a slap in the face? Words can hurt, amen? Often, words sometimes can hurt more than wounds because they go deep. Proverbs says, our words go deep and affect, and you got to be careful. God does not give you liberty to just be rude and to say things that you feel like saying. So what we normally do, somebody starts insulting us, we fire back. <laughs> and Jesus says, no, 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 no. Jesus commands us to let them insult us or even to slap us. Did Jesus do that? When they slapped him, did he slap back? He did not. Go to, Rome, uh, sorry, go to Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. Bless you. Numbers 12 and verse 1. Numbers chapter 12 and verse 1. Here's Moses. Miriam and Aaron. Now, these are family. Hey, which hurts more, a neighbor calling you stupid or your wife calling you stupid? Your wife. Miriam, this is his own brother and sister. Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, well, hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not also spoken by us? And guess what? You ought to circle those next words. And the Lord heard that. Now, the man Moses was very weak. That's not what it says. What's the word? 
meek. Meek is strength under control. I believe, now Moses is 80 some odd years old here at this point, and he could take anybody out. He, if, he, if he got into a wrestling match, he would win. Now Moses, however, was very meek. He was very controlled. Above all men which are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam, Come out, ye three, into the ta- unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And believe me, they moved. And they came out. They three came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forth. Verse 7. God says, My servant Moses is not so who is faithful all my house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the angel of the Lord was kindled against them. Was Moses angry? We don't know. I imagine he probably was. But he held it back because he knew somebody else was going to be angry. Who else was going to take care of Miriam and Aaron? Who else? God. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he, Moses, got out of the way and departed, and the cloud departed from off the tabernacle. Behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. I mean, her face, her skin was already starting to fall off. Um, And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not this sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly, wherein we have sinned. Let it not be as one dead, because she was dying. Look, at that point, Moses has stayed quiet, hasn't he? And let Miriam and Aaron insult him and falsely accuse him. And Moses just sat there, and the Lord judged. Rough, man. When someone, secondly, go to... um, uh, back to Matthew chapter 5. When somebody insults you, let them insult. Is that ever going to be easy? I have never been able to do that easily. Not without days of struggle. Because I take it personally. Does anybody else take it personally? I mean, no wonder the Lord put it in there as a commandment. Because I don't want to do it of my own free will. Second, there in Matthew 5, 40, And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. This is crazy. Now, <laughs> yes. Now, he's not saying that you should just give everything away. But notice, it says this. Watch the words. If any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, so if he wins... If he sues you, maybe, maybe you did bump his car and you didn't want to pay for the repair. And so he takes you to court and wins. You not only need to pay for his car to be repaired, Jesus says you need to pay more. If he wins in court as a Christian, you need to pay more. That's what he's teaching. He's not saying that if somebody just wants to sue you, let him win. No. If it's a false suit, you fight fight it, obviously. But if they win, you ever heard anybody say, I lost my shirt in that gamble? Did you ever hear that? Well, that's what their coat was. Their coat was their top shirt. Their cloak was their outer garment that was over their shirt. They normally, they had a long shirt, like what we, you ever see, how many of you remember Ebenezer Scrooge? 
and he had, okay, remember that um, nightgown that he wore? All right, well, most people wore that under their clothes. That was their coat. That coated their flesh. And so if somebody steals your coat, and not steal, sorry, if somebody sues you and wins your coat, you need to humble yourself and say, I was wrong. Here, take my cloak also. Do you see the attitude? See, Jesus is dealing with the fact that don't fight. Just because they sued you and just because you've been proven wrong means you should humble yourself and let them win. Amen. You know, even in a corrupt court system, if you lose at law, you should let the other side have more than they sought if you're going to be like Christ. You know, that would save a lot of marriages if you let the other person win and just not fight. He goes on to the third thing. He says, when someone forces you to do something you don't want to do, look at the next verse, verse 40, 41, sorry. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him what? Now, this applies to men and their wives when they go shopping. Honey, I want to go shopping today. Okay, sweetheart. I want you to look at this outfit. Oh, yes, sweetheart. Now, I want you to look at this outfit. Yes, sweetheart. Now, look at this outfit. And I want to run. But if one compel you to go a mile, stay with them twice as long. That may be a good application. Whenever, whenever you feel like somebody's taking advantage of you, like was happening in, in that day, if a Roman soldier who carried a lot of gear, they always had to carry a backpack, they had to carry their water, they had to carry a shovel, they had to carry their sword, their, um, their dagger, their shield, they had to carry all that stuff. They marched everywhere, they walked everywhere, it was a heavy weight, and if they saw you standing there, it was their Roman right to say, you, carry this for me for a mile. And you couldn't quibble. You couldn't argue. You had to take up something and carry it with them 1,000 paces. But at 1,000 paces, you were free. And Jesus said, no, you're not. Keep going. Go another mile. Win that, win that soldier who knows nothing of your God. All he's known is war and fight and die. And here's somebody saying, I'll go with you another mile. Believe me, that soldier will listen to that Christian Give him the gospel as he's carrying his heavy burden that second mile. What is Jesus doing? He's replacing that desire that says, I don't believe I'm being forced to carry this for some pagan, for somebody who's abusing me, someone who doesn't, doesn't, doesn't do anything right, doesn't do anything for God. They just tell me what to do. I don't want to do it anymore. And Jesus says, go the second mile. Whew. Did I not tell you this was going to be hard? Because every one of you can't imagine being told to do something and you doing twice as much as you were told. You can't imagine that. <laughs> but you ought to. Because these, that's real life for them. And whatever is real life for you, when your parents tell you need to do something, you need to go, yes. And then without any quibble, do double the effort. And they come in and go, who did all this? And it was just one person who did double the work. That will win the heart of your parents and of your enemy. <laughs> Fourth example that he gives is when someone asks for something from us. Look down there in verse 42. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. 
Now, our Western culture is a hoarding culture. If I, and I'm never going to do this, but I'd like to scare you. If I came into your home, I'm going to look at Wendy. And I said, uh, all right, let's find out how many clothes you have. How many shoes you have? I'm just picking on her. Uh, how many shoes do you have? Uh, now, I don't know. I have no idea what she has. But the odds are most Westerners have way more shoes than we'll ever wear. We have, we have, oh my goodness. Um, we have stuff out the wazoo. We really do. Now, we just helped somebody move. And the stuff kept coming out of the house, man, and taking to the charity shop, taking over here, doing this. And I'm not finding fault necessarily with it. I'm just saying, you know, we think we have to have more when Jesus says, give it away. Somebody says, I need that. Say, here. Somebody wants to borrow something, go, no, I don't like you. No, whoever wants to borrow something, lend it to them. Don't be so discriminatory. Don't be so, well, you know, I may need this someday. I haven't used this tool in 57 years, you know, but I'll need it someday. I grew up, my dad must have been, well, he was, part German because we kept light bulbs. There was a drawer of old light bulbs in case we needed them. <laughs> I mean, none of them worked. We never used them. They just sat in there. So Somebody asks and says, can I have that? Think about it. Go, do I really need it or can I just give it away? What is Jesus doing? He's changing the attitude of his people from people who are revenge seekers, hoarders, thinking over themselves, to people who just give and love and forgive and thrive. Which one will thrive? The one that wants to mob rule and wants to overthrow and wants to seek revenge? Or the one that loves and, and preaches the gospel and forgives and gives and helps? Which one's going to thrive? Now, there are nine truths I want to just nail down real quick. Go to Romans chapter 12 from this, from this uh, principle about revenge. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Number one, vengeance, revenge belongs to God. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Recompense. That's a big word that means what? Payback. Make them pay. Recompense to how many men? No man. Evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. If you can't live in peace with your neighbor, move. Do not poison them. If at all possible, sometimes it's not. Verse 19, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves but rather give place unto wrath. What does that mean? Let's see, I need, um, uh, Patrick, you come up here. Dean, you come up here. Okay. Patrick, you're my enemy. Sworn enemy, you're standing here. Okay, now, you and me are in an argument. Put them up, put them up, put them up. Okay, now, this is God. Okay. Oh. <laughs> you're in trouble there. Now, he and I have got an argument. It goes back years. I mean, I just, every time I see him, I just want to punch him. I just want to, you know, stab his tires and his car. I just want to do something to hurt him for how he hurt me. 
So here I am. Now, Bible says, vengeance belongs to who? Vengeance is mine. I will repay. And it says, well, I'm going to use the words here, sorry. What's the word? Verse uh, 19, give place unto wrath. Now, you've hurt me. You saw him hurt me, didn't you? Yes. Does he want to bring justice to this guy? Now, don't be too complicated. Yes, he wants to save him, but he also, what's a man soweth, that shall he also reap. All right. What should I do? Should I say, Lord, I'll take care of this. <laughs> Give place means step out of the way. Shut up. Now get him. <laughs> Thank you. You can be seated. That's the principle. And you're like, well, you don't know what my husband says. You don't know what my wife does. You don't know what my kids put me through. You know, the power of prayer still works. And the power of giving it over to God, casting all your cares and your hurts. I mean, he not only took our sins, but he took our sorrows on the cross. And when you give that to God, you say, I'm getting out of the way. Now go get them, God. <laughs> and that's a whole lot safer, a whole lot better than trying to take care of yourself. Vengeance belongs to God. Secondly, God expects us who have been hurt first to do good to those that hurt us. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Do some things without murmurings and disputings. I hate that. <laughs> do all things without an argument. Amen? Without complaining. Watch how often you complain in a day. Do all things without murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless. And what's the next word? Harmless. The sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. To, to the world we should be, what's the word? Harmless. Show you another one. Go to Romans 12. You were in Romans 12. Go back to Romans 12. Romans chapter 12, now in verse 20. We did down to verse 19. Read verse 20 and 21. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, poison him. That's what revenge would require. Therefore, if thine, isn't that what all kings and queens and nobles and princes did to any of their Enemies, we're not to live like that. If thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. So do not over, be, be not overcome of evil, but instead overcome evil with good. Third, God expects governors, magistrates, and judges to exact justice with some mercy, not the other way around. Go to Romans chapter 13. Go to the next chapter, chapter 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, our authorities. For there's no power but of God. He's designed them. He's ordered them. The powers that be are ordained of God. They're not just come up by constitutions and by uh, uh, dolls and, and, um, and congresses. They're ordained by God. Wherefore? So whosoever therefore resisteth that power is actually resisting the ordinance of who? You're actually resisting God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou not then be afraid of, that, of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he 
a judge, a magistrate, a governor, is the minister of God to thee for good, but if thou do that which is evil, be what? Oh, but God, shouldn't you teach him to be merciful to me? No, you want blind justice. Be afraid if you're doing evil. We need that again. For he beareth not the sword in vain. He's not carrying it around like an earring. He's carrying it around for fear that he, he may have to use it. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Is that New Testament, yes or no? So when we have this, God does expect our judges to bring justice. But healing has to come from Christ. Are you with me? Your judge cannot make things right between you and your husband, you and your wife, you and your teens, you and your, your, your pastor, you and your, your neighbor, you and your um, enemy. They can only just say, you did wrong here, now you have to do this to make it right. But if you're going to get it right in the heart of hearts, it's going to have to be you and Christ and great breaking and humbleness. So, number four, it is not wrong to seek justice. Go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Luke 18, verse 1. <clears throat> Jesus teaches a parable, but he teaches something in the parable that maybe you've never noticed. Luke chapter 18 and verse 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. That's a good principle, but I want you to see the, the, the lesson that he teaches using his example. Verse 2, saying, There was in a city a what? A judge, which feared not God, neither regarded men, didn't care about anybody. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him. It was not wrong for him to go to the judge, for her to go to the judge, saying, what's the word? What's the word? There's revenge. She's saying, somebody has hurt me. Somebody has hurt me desperately. They're taking advantage of me. I'm about to lose the farm. Whatever it is, she says, avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said with all, within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, she won't leave me alone, I will, here's the word, avenge her. I will look at it, and I, will, I see that she's been abused, and I will bring retribution. I will avenge her, lest by her continuing coming she weary me. Verse 6, And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge is actually saying, And shall not God avenge us, his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them. It is right to sometimes when somebody has hurt you, for you to go to God and say, God, I've been hurt. Would you make sure they know they've hurt me? Lord, I, I don't know how to seek justice. You know how to do it, but I give it to you because it is right to seek justice. Number five, be careful to not only seek justice. To expect justice for wrongs is a right thing, but it'll never, it'll never make up for the loss that someone's act against you has brought. Colossians chapter 3, your ability to heal will come only from your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you take a long time to heal, let me tell you this, it's because you have a very shallow relationship with Jesus. Ouch. Do I need to say that again? If you cannot respond quickly and re, 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 uh, handle um, the overwhelming desire to seek revenge and to strike back and, and the hurts just keep piling up, 
It's because you do not walk with God like you should. Colossians 3.12, or maybe you don't even know him. 3.12 says, put on therefore, make this part of your life as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on, we'd say, bowels of mercies, which is gut feelings, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness. Put those things on, long-suffering, forbearing one another. What does it mean to forbear? Put up with one another and forgiving one another if any man have a quarrel against any even as christ forgave you so also do ye and above all these things put on charity which is selfless giving which is just give to give put on charity which is the bond of perfectness See, only Jesus can replace all the hurts and the scars with his peace and power jesus said in john 14 27 peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus is not teaching pacifism. Here's a great truth. The Bible is not against war on a national scale. There comes a time where a nation must defend. As a matter of fact, Ireland used to be on the right side. Ireland used to defend the defenseless. Ireland used to defend the unborn. Ireland used to be on the right side of standing up against Europe and saying we will not slaughter innocent blood. Now Ireland has flipped in every way. So Jesus is not saying that Christians should just stay silent. Amen? I'm encouraged by the, the movement, the pro-life movement, saying we're going to overturn the referendum. Amen? So Jesus is not saying, well, I guess it's the will of God. No, it's not. It is not. Do you really think that Jesus would command us to allow someone to murder, to rape, to smash things while we just stand by? Is that what Christians should do? Jesus is never telling us that we should ever allow somebody to abuse somebody else. If somebody, you, uh, I hope your parents taught you, if somebody was picking on somebody else, stop them. Amen. Jesus you know, you say, well, Jesus, he didn't fight back. He had to die. Your little sister doesn't. Amen? Are you with me? We have too many people who watch too many YouTubes and think we shouldn't be involved in wars. And I'm all for you. Go ahead. You don't need to be involved in war. But there may come a time where you need to stand and defend your family and defend your sister or your brother or your mom. You may need to do that. And you need to man up and do it. Amen? There's a limit to the amount of abuse we can allow. You know, if somebody were going to slap you, man, let them slap you. But if somebody pulls a knife out on you, you better take it out of their hand. Amen. Because I've got a family. I want to see my grandchildren walk down the aisle and get married. Amen. Jesus is not saying, let them kill you. He just says, let them slap you. Let them insult you. <laughs> Over there in the Middle East, they throw a shoe at people to insult them. <laughs> I mean, wow, that's, maybe it smells, but it never would be an insult to me. But to them, it is intensely insulting. And you know what Jesus says? Let them throw. That's what he's saying. By the way, countless numbers of Christians have sacrificed their lives for the freedom of people to not go to war. And that's fine. It's called being a conscientious objector. And by the way, I wish Germany had been filled with conscientious objectors and said, you know, Fyodor, we're not going to follow your stupid war. Amen. 
There is a time where you say, this is not a just war, and you won't fight. And I would, I would fight for your freedom to not fight. Does that make sense? But don't be so stupid to think that all war is wrong. Don't be so dense to think that all self-defense is wrong. Jesus is not teaching pacifism. When somebody hurts us and we let them without instantly reacting, that's what he wants. Luke 17. Go back to the left, find Luke chapter 17. James says we should be slow to what? Wrath. So somebody abuses us, don't quickly respond. So Jesus is not telling you that you should allow people to walk right over you and keep physically, emotionally, sexually abusing you. No. Luke 17, verse 3. 17.3 says, Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, what should you do? You don't punch him. <laughs> but what do you do? Rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. You know what the, the role of a preacher is? To reprove, to rebuke, to correct. Those are all negative. That's my job. Now, it also says to instruct. So when somebody's doing wrong, it is right to say, what you said hurt me. What you said is wrong. What you did is wrong to that person. Get in between. Stand tall. Don't allow somebody to hurt somebody else. That's Christian. Christian is not like, oh, I don't want to get anybody upset. Pray for our judges and all in authority. First Timothy 2 says, First of all, we should pray for all in an authority because they're probably not doing right. And they probably don't have anybody praying for them. And it is our responsibility, it says, that we may lead a peaceable and quiet life. You want a peaceable and quiet life? Have justice in the Irish streets, not freedom to sin and do anything you want. Pray for our judges. And then teach self-defense. Go to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. In verse 35. You ought to, gentlemen, you ought to teach your wife how to take you down. How to come in low and trip you and get you to fall so she can run away if somebody's trying to attack her. Amen. You ought to teach your wife how to use a, uh, use a stick, um, uh, how to scream louder. I mean, don't ever let your wife be so dainty. She doesn't know how to tell everybody, I'm being attacked. Amen. Teach your children. I mean, take them to judo. Take them to, I don't know what all these things, jujitsu and taekwondo and harikari. I don't know what all these things are. But whatever you can get them to do where somebody comes up to them and tries to push on them, they can grab their hand and say, I'll break that finger if you ever touch me again. <laughs> Amen. That is right. Jesus never said, teach all your boys to be little girls. Okay. And ladies, don't you be upset when a young man is growing up to be a man. When he's always dirty, he's always climbing up trees, he's broken three arms, three bones already. Thank God, thank God, thank God. We need some young men who grow up and can defend themselves and defend others. Teach self-defense. Look at verse 35, chapter 17, I'm sorry, chapter 22, verse 35. He said unto them, When I sent you without purse and script and shoes, lacked ye anything? And they said, 
nothing. We never lacked anything. And then he said unto them, as he's getting ready to go to the cross, he said, but now he that hath the purse, let him take it, and likewise his scrip. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. Get you a sword. Did Jesus just say, go buy you a sword? Not a letter opener. A sword. Next verse. For I say unto you that this that is written must, be, must yet be accomplished in me, and he was re reckoned among transgressors, and the things concerning me have an end. I'm about to leave. And they said, Lord, behold, you got two swords. And he said, it's enough. It's all you need. You don't want to have 37 swords and, you know, uh, all kinds of weapons. Just be able to defend yourself. Here's the conclusion. Are you sure you want revenge? Do you realize that all of us are as guilty as hell? When you stand before God, all of you are lying, all of you are swearing, all of you are cursing. The fraud that you have presented, the lust you have mulled over in your mind all your life and your heart, extortion, taking advantage of other people, gluttony, laziness, vanity, cheating, stealing. Am I, am I hitting anybody? Exaggeration, self-pity. Self-love, stubbornness, unbelief, fornication, pornography, pride, gossip, covetousness, boasting, jealousy, envy, insincerity, malice, revenge, deceit. Change the page. Let's keep going. <laughs> We're all guilty before our whole, all holy God and before others. We have usually in our sins hurt many people. Do you really want justice? Or would you like God to say, you know, if I could change you, if I could, if I could show you how to live differently, I'll give you another chance. He does not want you to get mercy and then continue the way you've always lived. He offers mercies to those who humble themselves and say, Lord, I'm tired of me. All of us are guilty. Psalm 130, verse 4 says this, If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, if you start ticking them off, who's going to remain standing? Who's going to stand? Romans 3.10 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Psalm 130, verse 4 says, But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. The truth is, God will judge the whole world one day. As it is appointed to men once to die, and after this, the judgment. How are you going to fare? There can be plenty of people who have probably been abused all their life. But when they face God, they're going to have to face not on pity, but did they trust Jesus Christ in his mercy or are they trying to get to God on his pity? It doesn't work. You'll have to face him for your own sins. You need to receive God's forgiveness yourself. Your parents can't save you. Your pastor, your priest, nobody can believe for you. You must believe or else you will pay for all eternity for every one of those sins. There's only one great way to escape the justice and judgment of God. Turn to Jesus. It's called faith. Not by good works that we have done, but crying out to his mercy. And I mean from your heart where you realize, God, if you took that kind of punishment for my sin, what am I going to get when I reject you? I receive you now. I believe you now. I trust you. I hold only to you. I'm not holding to church. I'm not holding to what I think. I'm just holding to you. And I believe you because you said that whosoever shall call upon your name shall be saved. And I call on it right now. It'll change your life. By the way, 
It'll change your home. It'll change this nation. Stand with me and bow your head in prayer, please. This morning we talked about revenge. Don't forget, Jesus gave four examples, very powerful examples that you're not going to want to follow, but they're non-negotiable. Somebody insults you, how quick are you to insult back? How quick are you to just ignore and say, I'm not going to respond? It's going to be harder than you think. You know, it's kind of a shame. It's kind of a shame. I'd like to have a world where nobody's insulting everybody. <laughs> but when they do, Jesus is going to try to talk to all those who have been hurt and say, let's replace that hurt with real forgiveness and real, real forbearing. Just as Christ has forgiven you, forgive those who are hurting you. Maybe with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you've never been born again. Today's the day. Maybe you'd see that, you know, if all your sins were laid out in front of us right now, you'd be ashamed, you'd be terrified, you'd run out of that door. You'd say, I, I can't bear anybody to know all of my sins. Of course you can't. But one day, all of those sins will be laid to bear in front of the whole universe. Is that what you want? And then you will get justice without mercy. If you want to miss that day of judgment, cry out to Christ right now and say, please save me from what I deserve. I thank you for justice because that scares me and it makes me want Jesus. It makes me trust him and hold only to him. And Christian, that justice that now you won't face ought to make you give it to others who surely deserve justice. I said justice, give to others. Let me say it this way. Surely people who have hurt you deserve justice. But just as Jesus has forgiven you, now you need to extend and love the unlovable. As we'll learn next week, love your enemy. Father, we bow in prayer and ask that these things would never leave our hearts now. And that the things that we've, wow, seen maybe for the first time, we would live. And it would actually save some homes, save some, some minds and hearts. God, I pray that it would um, be such a light, whether at work, when our boss is given out to us, that we take it. And when he or she is abusing us and taking advantage of us, we work double the effort so that one day we can turn to him and say, you know why? Because I love you, and I just want you to know the gospel, and I, I, I'm not really serving you. I'm serving my Savior. And I want you to hear me and believe me. That boss will listen to you when you've gone the extra mile. Father, we just ask that these things would be very, very practical and real in our homes from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.